0: Raising a Champion with John Borg.- And welcome into Raising a Champion. I'm your host, John Borg. It's the podcast that focuses on youth sports and how we can do it Better for everybody involved, for the kids, the parents, administrators, the coaches. My guest today is a four-year starter at the University of Massachusetts field hockey team. She then joined Team USA before she moved on to coaching. And in her first season as an NCAA head coach, she led the St. Joseph's Hawks to the round of eight before losing to the eventual national champion, the North Carolina Tar Heels. Hannah Prince, welcome into Raising a Champion. How are you?
1: I'm great, John. Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, thanks for coming in. In fact, uh, that was just a a few weeks ago, um, was the NCAA tournament. And um, just talk about that whole experience, because you came from the University of Louisville, uh, but this is your first head coaching experience. And uh, just to go through the process and to be so close to be on that doorstep before losing to a team that I think a, a lot of people knew that was the prohibitive favorite going into the tournament.
1: Yeah, it was an incredible experience, really. I mean, definitely dove in headfirst with the program, but um, the team— from, you know, day one told me they wanted to advance beyond the first round of NCAAs. So that was a focus for us all season, you know, in the back of our minds as we trained hard every day. And, um, yeah, drawing Wake Forest down at UNC for that first round, I think the team was excited and confident and knew that we definitely had it in us and we played a great uh, first-round game. And then, uh, yeah, like you said, losing to UNC in the um you know, quarterfinals was a, a battle, but they are a very talented team, and we had, you know, previously lost to them in the regular season. So it was um, a great a great way, though, great first uh, season for me, and, um, yeah, made program history.
0: Yeah, tell me a little bit about that. And, and, and what did you learn about yourself and the responsibility of being a head coach for the first time? Because you were hired last July. So this is really now your first full offseason season. Getting into it, recruiting—you know, getting to know the players more on a personal level. But take, kind of take me through that because you know you're trying to earn their trust, uh, and the players are—you you, got to sort of earn their trust and vice versa. And, and and just talk about that whole experience of being a head coach for the first time.
1: I was very fortunate uh, to have worked at St. Joe's in 2017 and 2018 under head coach Lynn Farquhar. So when you know the position came open, it was something I was very interested in. Um, my time at Louisville was amazing, but I knew that taking over a program such as St. Joe's, who had been top 15 for many years um, would be a great opportunity for my first head position. And um, the captains were actually part of the committee that selected myself. Um, and that meant a lot to me knowing that they were they were on board with my mission for the program and just my style and who I am as a person um, amongst some other administrators and athletic directors. Um, but that was really special to me and kind of paved the way for sort of, like you mentioned, that trust building that I had with them and then the rest of the team. So it's been a huge learning process, and I think it will continue to be for many, many years.
0: Yeah, And you're already learning the the time commitment that's involved. Uh, prior to us getting on air, you're discussing how part of this, boom, you're done, uh, and now you're off to this big tournament down in Tampa during Thanksgiving. So you, a lot of people spending Thanksgiving with family, you're already—it's—it's uh, back into it less than a month later recruiting trying to find some you know who's going to be some uh, some future talent on your team
1: yeah, so that's that's pretty typical for our sport is um, either the shooting stars or the festival tournament. So if you end up making the national championship final four weekend, you have just two or three days before you head on the recruiting trail. So I had a week um, before that, given that we lost in the quarterfinals. But yeah, I was excited to get down and, and look for some future uh, Hawks and sort of start to you know, identify players who I think could fit the playing style that we're trying to achieve.
0: Okay. Is is there a couple of tournaments every year that you now circle or, or coaches in this area circle and say, these are the ones that we have to be at in order to try to recruit and lure the top talent?
1: Definitely. That is one of them. Uh, The National Indoor Tournament, as well as National Club Championship and the Nexus Championship. Those are the largest ones that I think the majority of coaches go to. But the beauty of being back in the Northeast and the Philly area is how huge the sport is within a couple hour radius. I can see the top talent in the country. So I can head down to a high school game on a, you know, a random Wednesday night or, um, go watch a club practice in the off season. So I'm very fortunate now to be again back in this area. And it's really it makes recruiting a bit easier. Um, and it's just at my fingertips. So
0: yeah, for those who may be listening and are not familiar with everything that pertains to field hockey, this truly is, I, I feel like this is sort of the heart. Of of field hockey and field hockey talent. When you look at some of the schools, you have St. Joe's, Delaware, advanced the NCAA tournament. Uh, Penn State was there. Drexel, Princeton, Penn, Villanova. These are all top thirty, top forty schools uh, just in this area alone. Um, is that is is that a challenge in the sense that you're fighting? Uh, battling all these schools to, to to acquire talent, or is it just is it more advantageous because you don't have to travel as far?
1: Yeah, I think it's actually a, a really nice benefit. And a school like St. Joe's, you know, we do attract a variety of potential student athletes. But from my experience as an assistant, and then looking at um, the the. 2024 high school graduating class that I've recruited so far, it definitely seems to be a lot of Pennsylvania uh, student athletes, which I love. But of course, I do want to have diversity within my team and recruit players from all over the country and all over the world. Um, But to your point, yes, it is very, you know, there's tons of schools that are within a couple miles, a couple hours. um, So it definitely is competitive within the region.
0: Yeah, discussing recruiting, and I know that there's a lot of parents out there who would like to get some insight from somebody like you or, or head coaches. What is it that you look for? Obviously, the kid has—they have to be good. They have to be a talented player. But aside from that, when you're talking to some of these girls, these high school girls, really good, what is it that you're really looking for that would make them uh, the person that you want to, to coach for the next four years?
1: Yeah, outside of the you know on fields technical or tactical abilities, just looking for players who are driven, uh, who can speak about their passion, about their goals, um, you know, who can give good eye contact, who are strong students in the classroom. People who really just love the game um, and and want to become part of something bigger than them. And, um, you know, I recruit players that are going to come in and make my starting lineup that much more competitive um, and have players off the bench who don't, you know, who ensure that the level does not go down despite, you know, not being a starter. So I want players who are driven, who who want to be a part of that.
0: Now, you personally, you grew up in Maine, right? And yes. It small. It was. It's a. Sm- it was a small. I think suburb outside of Portland. Yes. Correct. Is that correct. Yep. How, how did you grow up learning to play the game? Were you a multi sports star up there in Maine? And and how did you really gravitate towards field hockey?
1: Yeah, I started feel lucky in a, in first grade. My high school had a youth program, like a your typical Saturday morning. The high school team runs the program, you know, first through eighth grade. Attend, and I just really was fell in love early. I loved that it was competitive and physical. Um, I also really looked up to some of the high school players, and they became role models for me. And once I saw them having success within their high school. Uh, careers and then go on to play in college. I, from grade school, thought that's definitely what I want to do. But I also grew up running track, doing gymnastics, lacrosse, basketball when I was really little. So I was definitely a very active kid, but knew from a pretty early age that field hockey was my true love.
0: Yeah. But you continue to play Different sports and, and and be involved year round, and we talk about that a lot during this podcast. How important it is for these athletes to to not just focus on one. Necess- you know, don't get caught up in sports specialization. Get out there, branch out, uh, play several sports because a lot of it sort of blends in from one sport to the next. Did you do that?
1: Yes, I definitely did. And as I got late into my last like two years of high school, I mostly ran track to stay in shape for field hockey, but that was when I had already committed to Uh, verbally committed to play at the university of massachusetts but until then i was doing everything i could um, and i loved it and it was fun it was a way to you know work on being a good teammate being a good leader Um, different parts of my body could get stronger in different ways agility speed change of direction and i think that you can get very stuck doing one thing and that's not going to help you in the long term with even that one sport that you love
0: Is there a sport that that really works well with field hockey, a spring sport that you'd like to see, you know, middle school kids, high school kids participate in? Because some of those 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 uh, characteristics of that sport really flow and really blend over into playing field hockey.
1: I've seen a lot of crossover with women's lacrosse, I think, really um, great footwork um, and cutting that happens in lacrosse um, well there's not a ton of similarities other than being 11v11 11 11 and putting a ball in the back of the net um I do feel like that is definitely one that requires really great endurance and speed and and all of that um, but the other one that I actually have found some really great field hockey players in is basketball I think relating to how you play defense especially just that low body position boxing out sort of that physical Physicality, keeping your eye on the ball, and physically like touching the player that you're marking, and that's something that excites me. So I have like one junior right now, Lily Santi. She had an outstanding year for us this past fall, um, but she was a basketball player, and I can definitely see some of that in her her defense as well as her offense.
0: That's good. Uh, One thing that I did want to mention, I was introduced to to St. Joe's uh, field hockey. I was uh, happened to catch. And I don't watch very much of it anymore, but ESPN, and they did their top ten, and there was a play from your team that was in there, and it was a really athletic play. Where I think they hit it, they passed it, knocked it out of the air, and made a goal. And I so I'm sure that that's something that you guys were talking about. Hey, hey, do you notice? You know, because. They don't take field hockey on on you know on ESPN or Sports Center that often.
1: Yeah, that was really fun. That was from our 5-0 win over Rutgers uh opening weekend. And yeah, Lily kind of batted it down into the cage at the far post up in the net. Um yeah, which was really cool. It was fun. It was great energy and the girls love seeing each other be successful. So, it was a team a team victory for sure. Yeah,
0: I want to get in a little bit more now into y- y- because I'm sure you talk to, to, to families and I'm sure you talk to some of these kids and and how they can get noticed and how they can get the exposure that they're looking for. And one of the things that that, that seems to come up when uh, I'm reading some of their comments and stuff on group chats and Facebook is the expenses now associated. And, and, and look, this, this runs the gamut of any sport. My son plays hockey and, and you're easily every year breaking out, you know, Six to seven thousand dollars once you factor in tournaments and hotels and meals and all that good stuff. But, um, you know, some of these families um, talk about the expense of doing clinics and showcases. Uh, is that just exponentially also grown from the time that you were a kid, you know, and going through this process?
1: Yeah, it definitely has. There are so many companies that have came up in the last five years that host some really great events, but it makes it so that almost every weekend in the summer there is an event um, and college coaches can't be everywhere. So if you're going to some of these extra column events outside of the the larger ones I already mentioned, you definitely want to be selective for Keeping an eye on what college coaches are attending so that you're not going to a showcase that's mostly Ivy League coaches but you're interested in more um – you know, Patriot League, you know, so it's just something to think about. Um, But yes, from when I was younger, there has been a huge uptick in different events. Um, But as you mentioned, clinics, I think that if you're at a point in your search that you sort of have, you know, even a list of 10 schools that are realistic for you as a student athlete, I would say get to their camps or clinics and work with the coaches because that's going to help you figure out if that's someone you'd want to play for, get a feel for the campus, the facilities, all of that as part of the camper clinic. And then on the flip side, for the coaches to be able to see you up close and personal and not from 50 yards away, you know, sitting on a sideline on an iPad Um, like I was in Tampa. You know, I'd much rather work with someone, speak to them, see how they respond to my feedback. Um, and just be more up close and personal. so that's definitely a great way to get a quality evaluation on both ends.
0: Yeah, do you I guess during this off season is 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 this a good time for players and parents to 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 have that one one on one contact with coaches or or assistant coaches and to just get their name out there?
1: Definitely. The one thing for field hockey is uh, the contact date from NCAA rules. So we cannot, as college coaches, speak to prospective student athletes until June 15th going into their junior year. But that does not mean we cannot work with them at camps and clinics and go watch them play and receive emails from them. So student athletes can email us, you know, freshman, sophomore, sophomore year, give us information on who they are as a person, as a as a. Um, student and then what events they're attending, um, and we can also we can answer general questions um, pertaining to a camper clinic um, and give them general correspondence about our school. But it cannot be anything recruiting related until after June fifteenth. Uh, but again, to your question, absolutely, this is the time to get in coaches' inboxes, get on you know their mailing lists, um, and get to a camper clinic if they are offered in the winter.
0: Okay, we're talking with Hannah Prince. She- is the uh, head coach of the Saint Joseph Hawks uh, field hockey team, a team that advanced to the round of eight in the uh, NCAA field hockey tournament? Um, kind of back to back to moving back here because you were uh, what an associate coach with with the Hawks. So, how do you like Philadelphia? How do you how do you like being here?
1: I love it. It's it feels so nice to honestly be back in this region. Many for many reasons. My family's in Maine. So now it's a drive. I really love how big the sport is here. And as I mentioned, it's amazing to be able to go watch a really high level high school game 20 minutes down the road at many, many different schools. Um, And yeah, it's just you can feel the competitiveness in the sport. Um, And then even just thinking about our home games, you know, we've had incredible crowds and fans that have been able to come out. Um, And that means a lot to me and to my program.
0: Yeah, it's good facilities um, right there on, on City Ave. It's it's a very good school, a lot of good schools uh, around here. So you get a lot of good competition that you can plug in on your schedule. And you don't have to travel that far, you know, whereas I think when you're at Louisville, it's probably a little bit different um, when it came to traveling and trying to, to, to compose your schedule and trying to get some good teams on there.
1: Yeah, definitely. I have... Formulated our schedule for next year. I just wrapped it up about a week or two ago. Um, You know, we get to open up. We're actually lucky. We have University of Connecticut and University of Massachusetts Lowell both coming in for opening weekend. Um, So that'll be fun. But we can play Penn and Villanova and Drexel um, you know, as in Rutgers is less than two hours down the road, Princeton, um, you know, all very close by. So even for our off season, being able to compete at a super high level, uh, to get us ready for next season is also something that's important to our success, our future success.
0: Yeah. Uh, being a, a first year head coach under the NCAA and some of their guidelines, is it, uh, is it difficult in terms of trying to be in compliance, just knowing what you can do, what you can't do? You're talking about what you can say, what you can't say. Uh, it's just all these little intricacies that come with being there. And, you, and you, you do, you need, you want to be very aware that you don't trip up and you don't do something that, um, you know, that obviously goes against. But there, there is, there's a lot of little things out there that I'm sure that you have had to learn over the past year.
1: Absolutely. And um, compliance is a huge part of our job. Um, And, you know, at every school that I've worked for, you have compliance meetings, usually at least once a month, where we're constantly getting updated on new legislation and new rules that are voted in. So being up to date with all of that definitely is crucial. Um, But I think... The biggest thing just to remember is just ask if you don't know, and coaches can even help educate you if you have questions. There's nothing that says we cannot inform you of a rule, um, and then that's pretty much the end of the correspondence.
0: Yeah, we were uh, discussing the expense of doing clinics and showcases, how some families find it a financial strain, uh, that sort of thing. It's part of it. Um, Another... another, topic that also came up was the pay-to-play. Now, that's something I think that's also evolved uh, recently over the years. You see it in other sports as well. But where do you stand when it comes to the whole pay-to-play issue?
1: Yeah, the NIL has been very interesting. When I was at the University of Louisville, They were fortunate enough to be able to hire a full-time staff member who was there to help the student-athletes, to help the department, to make sure that the NIL deals were being processed compliant legally um, and really help the student-athletes grow their brand. Um, Where St. Joe's doesn't have a full-time staff member, we do have lots of resources, um, and our staff members are – are, you know, educated to know what we are allowed to do and not allowed to do. I haven't seen a huge increase with that in field hockey. Um, But it's I think, you know, each season it's going to become more and more. um, I think the biggest example would be uh, sporting equipment. So Players can be sponsored with a stick company um, or uh, nutrition. Maybe there is like a protein powder um, that they're sponsored by a brand. So that's what I've seen so far. Um, But, yeah, I think it'll continue to grow and help student athletes to have their own brand and have some income.
0: Yeah, and that's something that we're seeing across all sports. Um, I was uh, at an event that Jay Wright was speaking to. Probably don't have – uh, this much of an issue, but it's maybe something that is out there, but is the whole transfer portal now. Right. Yeah. Is is that something as coaches that that they are tapping into?
1: Yes. The transfer portal this year has been. Actually, very surprising how crazy it has been, honestly, from um, right after the selection show. So some seasons were over. You know, it's only the the. Top teams that got selected for the tournament. I've probably gotten three emails a day, pretty much since then for a couple weeks now. Um, so it has been absolutely huge the transfer portal.
0: Yeah, and uh, and one there. There's pluses and minuses to it all, and I know that uh, some some coaches may like it. Some of them probably don't, you know, because you're trying to build something, you're trying to build a program, and you're trying to build like a a family, a community, and some. The, I think some with within the transfer portal that can sort of um break that sort of you know continuity you know where where you are trying to build something and 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 look it gives it gives athletes uh a way out uh, as opposed to if they don't like something it's e- and it's really easy it's it's easy for uh, say well I'm not getting the playing time or I don't feel like this coach likes me whatever the case and so it just gives them sort of that free pass out.
1: Yeah, I definitely do see both sides of it. I you know, I as a coach, I want my student athletes to be completely invested and bought in and regardless of their role, whether they're a starter or they don't get any minutes, you know, in that current season, I want them invested and to be team first and to help us achieve our our mission of, you know, making a final four. That's our goal. Um but yeah, to your point, it does give an easier way to kind of jump ship a little bit and find something new. But the other piece is if they're not happy and it's not for them, then, you know, then I I, I'll be supportive of my student athletes entering the portal if that's what they feel is best for them. But it definitely makes it easier. And there's been a huge uptick in student athletes in the portal.
0: Yeah, I, I liked what you said, though, when it comes to teaching Every, every player on your team has a role. Now, they may not, may not be a starter, but you all have a role. And I'm a big fan of Gino Ariama, the Un- Connecticut head basketball mm-hmm. coach, talks about body language. And if your body language isn't good, you'll never see the the, the court or the playing field. And is that something that, uh, that you try to stress as a coach to your players, is that everybody's got a role, everybody is important in their own way, And body language is a big deal, or character is a big deal.
1: Definitely. It's something we talked about from right when I got to St. Joe's and revisited multiple times throughout the season. Um, We do have a large squad compared to some programs, and I think most program squad sizes have increased with the COVID fifth year and and as well the transfer portal, too. Um, So, yes, definitely making sure that student-athletes are, they have a realistic idea of where they stand, but also that each of their roles is incredibly crucial to the success of our team. If, you know, my, let's call them non-starters, don't, perform at practice and don't challenge the starters, we are never going to improve at the rate we need to. You know, we're facing UConn or UNC or Maryland over the weekend. Well, we can't be training at, you know, a high school level. And I, it sounds dramatic, but we have to be pushing each other and showing every day what it's like to train against a top opponent so that come game day, it is not a surprise. And the only way we're capable of doing that is if every member of the team you know, gives 100% effort every day and challenges themselves, which challenges each other. Um, And yeah, I think that's super important. And yet to your point, body language too, you know, or reactions to mistakes, reactions to um, umpiring within practice, you know, we have to train as we're going to play. So in training, if we're not, um, if we're not sharp, then it's going to show on game day.
0: Yeah. Uh, Something else, and this is, unless you're really heavily involved in the sport, I don't think this is something that you're even remotely uh, aware of, but access to water-based turfs, uh, you know, <laughs> you know in, in other sports, you just think, oh, playing surface. But this is in, in field hockey. This is a big deal, and this is this is a big determining factor for a lot of these turn- teams because it's it's on these turfs where you you learn how to 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 run better, you pass with speed, uh, and it really opens up the game, but. Some of the some of the younger these kids and programs don't necessarily have access to that. How how can we open it up to where more people have access to like these water based turfs?
1: It is a challenge for sure. There are very few high schools around the country that have water based astro. Not every Division One program even has water based astro. Um, so you know, that is the surface that you'll play your games on in college if you're playing at a high level. So it's important to take advantage of opportunities, showcases, clinics, camps where you can go train on that surface because it'll help your transition to college be that much that much better for sure. Um, Tell me how
0: the game is different on a water-based turf as opposed to one that's not.
1: Faster, just a heck of a lot faster.
0: Okay, yeah, and so decisions have to be that much quicker. You you, you, you just it's the, the speed of the ball, I guess, travels that much Faster,
1: yes, for sure. My uh, old head coach from University of New Hampshire that I worked for, she always described. People would always ask, "Why do you water your turf?" And she um, would always say, "Well, it's a big ice hockey area up in New England, as you might know." And sure. she'd also yeah. she'd always say, "You know, it's it's similar to a zamboni on an ice rink. It just helps smooth smooth it over and helps it be faster." Um, so I always thought that was a good comparison for people who are a little bit unfamiliar. The other thing is we play with. A dimple ball that's actually has a cork in the middle, and that's the you know, it's very hard plastic and that rolls better on the water based astro. So, not only are you going from potentially field turf and then we call them smooth balls um, to water based astro and dimple balls, um, but yeah, the, the pace of the game is significantly faster. So, all of the decision making, um, even some of the skills that you would use, you know, on a field turf. I recommend more hitting and and lifted passes because the turf can be slow where on you know astroturf it can be more of a, as we call it a sweep um and and more you can be a bit more dynamic on the ground but 3D skills lifted skills are definitely part of both games so the
0: kids who do have skills uh, do you do you notice that when they they transition to to the faster surface that um they're caught up a little bit or it takes time. There is an adjustment period that comes with that.
1: Yeah, it definitely takes time. And you can usually tell players who throughout the year, go back and forth between the two surfaces and those who it's very new to them, especially some of the youth uh, clinics that we've hosted. Even this fall at St. Joe's, we did a free youth clinic and they, uh, they tend to lose control of the ball a little bit because they're not, they're definitely not used to it. So,
0: yeah. Uh, Another, uh, Aspect that uh, I think is something that 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 parents are interested in is the importance of Nexus for kids that can't afford programs or, or is, they they can't so they can attend some of these clinics and camps. W- tell me the role of Nexus and how important is it that it's it's part of this integration for kids so that they can get involved.
1: Nexus um, used to be known as Futures, if anyone Uh has heard of that. But um, Nexus is through the USA Field Hockey Pipeline. And, you know, used to be said if you wanted to play on the national team, you know, you have to do Nexus. That is the path that you need to stay on. But I think even if you do not aspire to play on the national team. The Nexus program is still a, a good program to do if you're at a competitive level within your region of the country um, and you can get selected to the regional tournaments and then to the national tournament and the Nexus uh Championship. The national tournament is um, down in Virginia Beach in the summer, and that is one of the largest recruiting events. And especially for Division One, you will see the best players in the country at events such as that. Um, And I I had a great experience through what was next uh, futures, and I have done it since seventh grade through twelfth grade, and you know was fortunate enough to be selected through through that for the U-16 national team, and then in college, the U-21s and so on. So I had a really great experience, um, and I, you know, I hope to be able to give back and, you know, potentially host um, some of the programming at St. Joe's. I know there's some in Philly, and I want to definitely give back So I think it's a great program.
0: You, you were hired last July, so you kind of got it here at the tail end of recruiting, Right? Did you feel like that last season you were playing catch up, or uh, had some of the assistants or some of the people that were already involved in the program kind of get get got, they got the ball going for you? And then on the flip side of that, how much are you embracing the recruiting process this time around? Uh, just because you've had a full season um, and now that you can get in there and really see what it's all about, and you have now. They've seen you first year, St. Joe's, they've seen your success to see kind of how they gravitate towards St. Joe's field hockey.
1: I think there was about a five-week lag time from when Coach Farquhar departed till my official hire date. So that definitely did not help the recruiting, given that the contact date of June 15th for that rising junior class was about the same week that she um, stepped away. Uh, so that was that was a bit challenging knowing there was not uh, much communication. I think my assistant, Alexa Hoover, did an excellent job keeping in communication, but she wasn't going to proceed with any, you know, scholarship offers or anything like that since there was not a head coach named. But as soon as I um, accepted the position, I was able to get um, on calls with some recruits that I knew of that I knew would be great fits for St. Joe's from what I knew So, I had to play catch up very quickly. um, And the process was a bit slower for me once I got the job because my number one priority was taking care of our current team and making sure everything was ready to go for preseason. Uh, So, focusing on them was number one. And and recruiting did, it was definitely a a top three for me, but I was trying to, like I said, make sure we were ready to go for this upcoming season. Um, And then I've, you know, I have verbally committed a handful of players that I'm really, really excited about. I think they're. I actually knew all of them before taking the job at St. Joe's through my connections. And when I was here as an assistant, I go back a few years with some of them, which is really special to me. And, you know, as much as I want to have a super competitive environment, I also want to have a family environment for my program that, you know, really welcomes people in. And it's about building relationships. And so I'm fortunate to have committed a few that I'm looking forward to continuing to build with
0: yeah, uh, recruiting overseas, how much of it do you do? because when you, if you take a look at a roster, you some uh, you'll see six to ten international players uh, that are on NCAA teams. and is the programs over there and maybe they, they, they come over here because they want to be recruited by colleges, but uh, in, how are international players different? and why do we see a good number of them on these college rosters?
1: Field hockey is a huge sport worldwide, as you probably yep. know. Uh, so a lot of these countries, you know, the European countries, some South American countries, I mean, really all over the world, um, they play at a very high level. And so therefore their youth programs are are typically, you know, stronger than ours here in the U.S. And, you know, whether they're being coached by, um, you know, international level players from a young age uh, or they're just exposed to the game. Um, younger and they also the other thing too is you know here we only have a national team well in many other countries most other countries they have you know adult leagues and professional leagues so you really are encouraged to play into your 20s 30s 40s i think that just helps the strength of the sport um but yeah i think the international players that that we've had or I've had at other schools have really just brought a different a different flavor to the game. Um, really smart hockey players definitely specialize in some different skills that can be very helpful within our game. And I, I do believe that having international student-athletes helps elevate um, our country's field hockey as well.
0: Are they already over here by the time they're in high school or— Nope, they're no. they're overseas. So do you have how, how do you see that? Is is it do you, do you got film on these players, and, and do you ta- will you be taking any trips over there to see them?
1: Yeah, so I definitely will plan on getting over somewhere. I haven't decided where, whether it's in Europe um, or potentially somewhere else, um, South America, Argentina, potentially to see some players. But typically, um, yeah, they'll send a highlight video. They'll have a recruiting coordinator that. Um, potentially runs an agency that will help get their profile, their name out there. Um, So that'll be test scores, transcripts, video, uh, recommendation letters from coaches. Uh, And then if it's a player, you know, you feel like you like their video and could be a good fit, you'll, you know, I'll set up a Zoom call with them, their coach, their parent, um, and get to know them. And that's really important, too, because you can't do the face-to-face when they're you know, across the, the ocean, but you can spend some quality time getting to know them as people to make sure that they understand what the commitment is like coming to the U.S. to play and, of course, making sure that their um, values are similar to those of, you know, members of my team.
0: Yeah, so you're, you're going to be spending a lot of time, obviously, recruiting, uh, getting, you know, your, your name out there, trying to just sort of just collect those lot, a lot of information as possible. How much do you spend time just working on a, on a grassroots level? Uh, some of those young clinics that, that you see for some of the younger girls, and really more than anything, just helping build the sport up, because it really has, I think, over the last 10, 15 years, truly exploded in terms of popularity and participation.
1: Definitely. I, as I mentioned, I had a free youth clinic after our Harvard game on a Sunday afternoon um, this past season, which was awesome. You know, my players volunteer their time. They typically end up loving it. It was downpouring rain, but we had a great win against Harvard. So I joked with them that being out in the rain was a hell of a (laughs) lot sweeter after a win, a great, you know, a top 20 win. Um, and I think doing things such as that are very important. I'd love to host you know, more free youth clinics, um, whether it's at St. Joe's or even traveling to elementary schools in the city um, or outside of the city to help grow the game. Um, I have another clinic out in Lancaster in January with a youth program, and I love doing things like that. I, I do believe it's because I was so fortunate to have such great role models and people who inspired me. Um, so it's important, you know, my philosophy as a person and a coach to to be exposed to not just, you know, the top level high school athletes, but to be around the game um, with the youth as well.
0: Yeah. You, you, I'd I mentioned off the top two, you were part of Team USA. Did the women's national team uh, if and correct me if I'm wrong, did they not train in Lancaster out yep. in that area?
1: Yes. Yeah. So yeah. I am. Um, After graduating from UMass, played on the women's team 2014-2015 out in Lancaster at the Spooky Nook. They've since relocated down to Charlotte, but it was so incredible being up in Pennsylvania, again, where it is the home of hockey. Um, So when we would host Argentina or um, Ireland... To come and play, the games would sell out. I mean, we would have such an incredible crowd, a uh, lot of young fans, and I, I, you know, I am envious of of some of the young fans that got to watch such high level field hockey at, you know, as a five year old, as a ten year old. I never was exposed to that, but I think it was really cool.
0: Yeah, I've been to several basketball tournaments at Spooky Nook. During my time, a tremendous facility right out there. Yeah, they've got hotels and and baseball, softball, basketball, you name it. Uh, They've always got something going on there. Um, In terms of the equipment uh, over the last 10, 15 years, how much better has it gotten? Uh, I know I I think of uh, as it pertains to to, to hockey sticks, uh, you know, you're you're looking at now the kid wants to get the two hundred or three hundred dollar hockey stick. Is is or have, have we really seen that area, that aspect of field hockey explode as as it pertains to the equipment, better equipment, and and where the advantage in some of these sticks are?
1: Yeah, the number of brands that make sticks has definitely increased. Uh, a lot, for sure. Um, I think that there are some sticks that are severely overpriced, and um, <laughs> and parents, I know that it is is not easy, you know, having to purchase sticks every year or two years uh, for your for your daughters or sons. Um, but, yeah, I believe that the gear has gotten so much better. The turf shoes are more protective. They help you cut better. They're more durable, especially on the water turf. It tends to eat away at your shoes a bit more. Um yeah, but I think the sticks, I, I was sponsored by a company for a, a many, many years. It was very good to me, and I used them in high school and on national team. Um, and now, um, you know, I think I let my players kind of pick what brand they want. I mean, I'm not picky about it, and if there's a stick they like, we'll make it happen for them.
0: Really? So they, they have the supplies, and 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 anything that they need is right there at their fingertips?
1: Yeah, Stress Sporting Goods is about an hour north of St. Joe's, and they cover—they carry many brands. So I think anyone who can, you know, is unsure, you can go try them out there, which is great, instead of having to just kind of order and hope for the best.
0: Yeah. So you get to the round of eight. You lose to North Carolina, 5-2 game, uh, hard-fought game. Uh, How much after that game was over, what was your— Your instant reaction, did you just want to get right back at it or did you need to decompress a little bit?
1: Oh, I wanted to get back at it, but that's just me. I'm definitely, um, I always joke uh, with my old boss from Louisville, I was like, I wish we could be in season all year. And she thinks I'm crazy for that. Um, But I do. I really love season. I love competing and seeing my team be successful Yeah, I I wanted to get back out there, you know. I think there was a couple things early on we maybe could have done different, but um, unfortunately let them get in a couple early goals that caused us to have to change our game plan a little bit. Um, So, you know, all all good, though. I think the girls battled. um, Putting in two goals against UNC um, was definitely a great, Thing. We could we could walk away knowing we really fought for the full sixty minutes um, and didn't you know roll over. We we really gave them a full game um, you know despite losing five two.
0: You, I'm I'm sure you have a vision of taking this program and elevating it into to where you're considered or, or you're just talked about with North Carolina, Maryland, Penn State, whatever you know th- those those top tier programs. What does it take? And now you've had that one year, you you see, is is it just, is it getting the athletes? Is it just uh, buying into the program? What does it take to sort of take that next step?
1: Definitely a combination. I mean, I think number one thing is having really strong team culture and also student athletes who are not afraid to really put in the work because it does not happen by chance. You know, you have to put in um, the work in the off season, the preparation, uh, and that's not just physically. That's also the mental side. Um, so I think getting really talented athletes, the better we do as a program, the more exposure we'll get and hopefully get you know, even higher caliber prospective student athletes coming on visits, being um, excited about St. Joe's and hopefully committing to play for the program. So between the recruiting, the mentality with the team culture, um, you know, having quality coaches around me to help teach the players. um yeah, and really just continue to get buzz around St. Joe's field hockey so that we can um, compete on the national stage. Continue to compete on the national stage. I think.
0: Yeah, I think when the season started, you were outside the top ten, but I think after um, a few weeks, you were consistently in that top ten, that top ten range. Um, so you put them there, and 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 congratulations to you on, on coming in, creating that environment, having a successful season, and I think it's going to be pretty exciting to see where it goes from here.
1: I think so, too. Thank you.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, Hannah Prince, St. Joe's Field Hockey Head Coach. Um, we like to end the show, obviously, every uh, every week with our uh, phrase, our words of wisdom. Uh, and this week, all it takes is one negative comment in the car or at the dinner table to plant a seed in your kid's head that they don't have to listen to their coach. And from there, your kid can be become uncoachable, a bad teammate, or even both. It doesn't take much to sabotage a team's chemistry. Uh, With that in mind, thanks uh, to all of you for listening. Keep in mind, uh, we love to have your subscription to to our show. Uh, You can follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, uh, Amazon Music. Uh, Just do a search uh, for Raising a Champion, and that is where you find us. Uh, Thanks to Hannah for coming on, and thanks to you for listening. You've been listening to Raising a Champion with John Borak.